All right. So uh, the piece that we're going to start tonight, uh, and then uh, probably it'll go uh, at least uh, at least two weeks, probably, um, is a piece from the Slonimer, the Nesiva Shalom. We've done, uh, we did a piece from him before. This one is about Emuna Bitachon, but it's really my interest is more the Bitachon element of it than Emuna. Uh, and it's a... Uh, Choosing this topic is by and large self-serving because uh, in preparation for this uh, Shabbaton that I'm going on the, this week uh, and the topic of the theme of the Shabbaton being resilience. So uh, in my head, I connect this uh, trait of bitachon, of faith or trust HaKash Baruch Hu, very much with the acquisition or the actualizing of, uh, of resilience from a, uh, from a Jewish uh, perspective. So that's why as I was looking for uh, for for a topic, so uh, this one uh, stuck out. So I said, okay, we'll uh, we'll do it, and we'll see whether or not I could uh, use any of this uh, this coming weekend. So what you have over here is, um, let me pull it up. Okay, so uh, Emuna. Uh, in belief in God. So uh, as we've talked about, I think, that uh, amongst Hasidim, different Hasidic groups, so very often different groups emphasize different traits. There's different mitzvahs which they focus their attention on, and they try and uh, inspire the uh, the Hasidim with a particular mitzvah which is theirs. So for some it's tefillah, for some it's Shabbos, there's all sorts of different uh, things. So uh, uh, Emuna. Is something which is uh, a pretty universal type of uh, of mita, which you find by uh, by Hasidim, but it's not so much the belief in God as we're going to see, but it's going to be much more the dynamics between God and yourself, God and the Jewish people, and then God and the uh, the individual. So this piece which you have over here, this is from the first volume of the Nesiva Shalom, uh, and this is where he talks about topics topics in general. So he's not following the parsha. He's not following the Yom Tovim. He has different the topics which he uh, which he which he talks about. You see at the top of the page when I scroll up. So this is from the section which he calls the Sode HaTorah. So these are fundamentals of the Torah, and this is the second piece he has on Emuna. So he says, and we're going to again jump around as we've done in the past uh, to uh, to to be able to make uh, progress with it. But he begins by saying. Let me make it a little bit bigger. Ooh, that's big. Okay. So he says, Emuna ubitachon heimatrain diinunchar. So he says, Emuna and bitachon are two different ideas, but they're really one and the same. They're two sides of the same coin. Now, right off the bat, I should tell you that not everybody uh, sees Emuna and bitachon as being synonymous terms. Um, some of them see the Chazanish, and we may do this Chazanish at some point in the future, but he sees Emuna is, is being very much focused on our belief in God, and Bitachon is the way we trust God, and how he differentiates. He has his own Sefer, Emuna Bitachon, but the, the Slonim over here uh, adopts the perspective that they are essentially similar ideas, with only slightly di- uh, slight variations uh, between them, which he's going to elaborate on. And then this first paragraph here, he goes at and he cites various sukim, which emphasize the importance of uh, of having bitachon, of having we're going to translate it as trust in Hashem. But we're going to see he 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 has a different 
uh, understanding of the term. So he says, uh, so he says, picking it up in the second paragraph here, so we need to explain, so the term emuna and the term bitachon represent two different parts, two different facets of our belief in God. So what are they? Emuna perish. So when we talk about emuna, we say that is perish lehamin, that is to believe Bahashem in God, shubori habruin, that number one, he created and he guides all of creation. In God alone is the one who made, makes, and will make everything which exists. Going back to our 13 principles uh, series, and he is unique, he is one, and there's no uniqueness, there's no oneness that, that is similar to God's. And included in regular emuna is the belief in hashkacha pratis the belief in divine providence, the fact that God watches us, sees us, is aware of what we're doing. He's rooting for us. He's trying to set the stage for us to be able to realize our potential. All of that is part of the definition of emuna, says the Slonomer. Now he says, v'abitachon, hu chelek emuna. So we talk about bitachon, that is a subset of belief, but it's very specific. Sheyehudi, that every Jew is obligated to believe the love in the closeness that God has for his Jewish nation. So this is now taking, it's not, it's no longer belief in the concept of God. It's not simple belief in the concept of a creator recognition that there was a creator of the universe, but this takes it to another level. Not only is he a creator, but it happens to be that he loves the Jewish people to pieces. Can't get enough of the Jewish people infatuated with us. And And he says that also included in that is the fact that every Jew has a unique relationship with God. In that relationship, the, 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 uh, the metaphor which we could use for that relationship is the relationship that a child and a parent would have that a parent should adore their child, a parent should be willing to go ahead and accept their child unconditionally, all of that stuff. That Baruch has the capacity and has the desire to provide good for all those who trust in him. All those who see this intimate relationship between God and the, in, in, in the Jewish people, or God and you as an as an individual Jew, so God wants to go ahead and uh, take take care of you. The same way a parent has this innate nature to want to go ahead and take care of their child. And this level of belief that I have a unique relationship, and it's a loving relationship that God has towards us as a nation and me as individual. So from that, that generates, that fuels the trust, the bitachon that I have in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The same way you take a young child 
before they become jaded, <laughs> you know, at, the, at like three or four. But a young child, so as far as they know, their parent is Superman, their parent is Wonder Woman, their parent can do anything and everything, and therefore they just believe that if anything is wrong, I just need to call my parent and my parent is just going to take care of it, because hopefully that's been their experience in those very young, impressionable years, that whenever I had any need, a parent came running to go ahead and take care of that. And therefore, it must be that they're Superman and Wonder Woman. They can take care of everything. And then, and this is what he's going to emphasize, And even when a person does not feel worthy, and a person does not feel that they're deserving of that type of love and care from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Bitachon means you believe that God loves you anyways, that God loves you unconditionally, and you cannot do something which ultimately is going to compromise that relationship and make him not love you. And that's the muscle that we use all the time during the Yom Yom and whatnot, that the same way a parent loves a child, that's the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu has compassion for the Jewish people. So this is the model which he's using over here in terms of bitachon is not simply a belief in God, it is confidence that God is that God has my back. Why am I confident that God has my back? Because he loves the Jewish people and therefore by extension he loves every Jew who is a member of the Jewish people and there is ultimately nothing that we could do which is going to compromise that love. That love is not going anywhere. It's unconditional uh, under all uh, under all circumstances. And then he says that these two different dimensions Number one, the belief in God. And then number two, the belief in the love, the unconditional loving relationship that God has towards the Jewish people. He says, this is actually contained in the first of the Aseris Adibros. In the first of the Ten Commandments, we're going to see that both of these dimensions, these two facets of our belief in God and our, uh, our perspective on the relationship that we have with God, both of them are contained therein. So in the okay, beginning, so now I have a question. Yeah. So then why would Hashem make Chayab Kares? Um, so, yeah, so uh, uh, at, at this point, we could ask about uh, crusades and inquisitions and holocausts and childhood uh, diseases and all sorts of traumas and all sorts of different things which happened to us as a nation and happened to us as, a, as individuals. Um, uh, ultimately, that has to be understood from some sort of perspective that God knows what's best for us. And even if we don't see it, this ultimately is what's best. Now, how exactly that translates? So that becomes a very difficult thing to be able to apply Lemaisa. The only uh, uh, muscle that I would give is that certainly when your two-year-old uh, wants five Oreo cookies right before dinner or right before bedtime, and you say, no, no, sweetie, you already brushed your teeth, you already took a shower, you already took your bath, you're not having five Oreo cookies now right before dinner, and he's going to think that you are the worst parent that's ever been created in the history of mankind. Because how dare you not give me my five Oreo cookies? And he can't conceive from his perspective how this could possibly be in his best interest to not have five Oreo cookies, because that's what he wants more than anything right now. And we dismiss it, we say, you're young, you're immature, you don't realize what that's going to do to you and why that's bad for you. I'm the adult, I do know why this is bad and why you can't have five Oreo cookies right before dinner or right before bedtime. And you're just gonna have to trust me on this. And they don't, and they're angry anyways. Hopefully they wake up in the morning and they've forgotten about it. But 
you know, we, we have that type of muscle which is going on is that when we don't get what we want or things aren't working out the way we want, so we assume that our perspective is the correct one and it should be working out the way I think it should be working out. Loving God means that he knows ultimately he has a bigger picture and a broader perspective and more maturity and more experience to know ultimately what's going to be good. And this is something which is, uh, which is ultimately going to, uh, to be good. Uh, I don't know how many of you, you, the Chicagoans over here, may have heard um, Dr. Loeb, Dr. Jerry Loeb. So he talks about uh, an experience he had when he took one of his kids to the pediatrician. So he took one of his kids to the pediatrician and it was time for one of the kids to get a shot, right? So if you think about it from a three-year-old's perspective, so there is a strange adult who's coming after you, after you with a sharp object to stab you with it, right? That's what a shot, a shot is, that it's a sharp object which is going to be stabbed into you. And not only is the child aware that he's about to get stabbed with a, with a sharp object, but since he doesn't want to be stabbed, so the parent has to hold them down in order for the nurse to go ahead and stab them. So that means my parent is complicit in me getting stabbed. That's the ultimate betrayal from the child's perspective. And he said it was like such an amazing thing for him to think about it from his child experience that my, my father is holding me down so that some stranger could go ahead and stab me in the arm. And then he said, that, you know, something like his child wouldn't speak to him for like an hour afterwards because they were like, so, they felt so betrayed that you let somebody else go ahead and stab me. you. You, you help them stab me. So from the child's perspective, all they know is somebody stabbed them. And my father helped. What kind of cruel father is that? Allows somebody else to stab his own child. But he knows that the child needs a vaccine before we had all this anti-vaxxer stuff. But before we, but, uh, but he, but we knew that it was something which was important. And therefore, although they don't understand why, we as the adult in the room, we understand why this is uh, something which is there. So that's uh, 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 consistent with, uh, again, what you guys from Shul know, is that we have to become comfortable with our ignorance. And I don't have an answer to every question. I can't explain what uh, God does all the time, because if I did, I'd be God. And as far as I know, I'm not. I've looked at my driver's license a few times just to check and make sure. And so far, it doesn't say God on it yet. But this is the perspective that we have to have to, you know, to whatever tragedies and whatever things occur in the world, which don't make any sense. Okay, so now where do we find this idea, these two different facets of emuna in the, uh, in the Aserah Sadebros? So he says, the muva, and the, the Slonimer loves this, this, uh, this concept, this, uh, this thought, says, the muva besefer Ibn Ezra, that the Ibn Ezra records a question which was presented to him, which was posed to him by Rabbi Yudah Levi, Rabbi Yudah Levi, the author of the Kuzari. So the author of the Kuzari sent the following question to Ibn Ezra, and that is, Lama Nemar, why do the Aseris Hadiros begin? Anochi Hashem Alkecha Shehotzeisicha Me'eretz Mitzrayim. I am Hashem your God who took you out of Mitzrayim. And rather, God should have said, I am the Lord your God who created the heavens and earth. If you're talking about credentials, it's hard to gauge what exactly are God-like credentials. But if you're going to go ahead and you're going to present your credentials as God, so which is a more impressive credential to present? The fact that you're the creator or the fact that you took the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim? Seemingly, the bigger thing when we're talking about the mitzvah of belief in God Really, what should be happening over here is God should be invoking 
the his status as the creator, the facet of his uh, his existence as the creator, because that's what leads us to believe in him. If we believe in him as a creator, then everything else falls into place. So why in the Aseris Adibros does God not identify himself as the one who created, and instead he talks about a particular event that he was involved in, which is Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. So explains the Slonomer. He says, So the Slonomer says, the truth is, is that this statement, this Pasuk, contains within it, within that one sentence, contains both elements of Amuna, which he's talking about, the regular Amuna, as well as the Bitachon facet of that Amuna. So Anochi Hashem So when Hashem says, I am Hashem your God. So those words, that means that Habore Umanig. So that's where Akash Baruch Hu identifies him. He's laying out his credentials. I am the creator. I am the one who guides the world. I am the one who runs the world. Everything which is happening is because of me. That is facet number one of our emuna, And then the second part is, the second half of the sentence is, Ve'anochi, and I am the one, Elokecha, your God, personalizing it, not the God, but I am your God, that's the, the suffix over there, Elokecha, Asher would say, Sicha Mitzrayim, that I took you out of Mitzrayim. Why does God emphasize the fact that he took us out of Mitzrayim? Meaning, Shebachem Bacharti, God says, listen, Jewish people, I chose you to be my people when you were still in Mitzrayim. And what was your status? What were you doing when you were in Mitzrayim? You were not Harvard scholars on a scholarship because you got a 16,000 on your SAT or something like that. But because we know that when the Jewish people were at their lowest point in history, they were at the 49th level of Tumah, right on the brink of reaching the point of no return where God would not be able to salvage them anymore. So as low as we could possibly go, Karam, it was at that moment, in that state, where God says, B'ni B'chori Yisrael, that you Jewish people are my firstborn. So invoking that, 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 uh, that close parent-child relationship at that time, so that's something where Shachar Baruch Hu did not at Har Sinai, when we said Nasa Venishma and we demonstrated a full commitment, he said, he expressed that we are his beloved children when we were at our lowest level, when we had hit rock bottom, essentially. It's at that time that he went ahead and called us his children. Umitzvah emunas Hashem, koleles, he says, and as he said, the mitzvah of belief in God includes is to believe also in the tremendous love, the tremendous unconditional love that God has to the Jewish people. That's also an essential part of our emunah. In that element of emunah, as he's going to elaborate, is what leads us to have trust in God under all conditions. So this is something which is so which is so essential, and that's why it's Anochi Hashem, I am God. That's my create. That God says that's my creator credentials. I am your God who took you out of Mitzrayim when you were at your lowest point and you were as distant as you could possibly be from me and still be the Jewish people. And it was then that I took you out of Mitzrayim to be my child. 
to be my beloved child, which eventually is going to reach, uh, is going to uh, receive the Torah. But this is what we're trying to emphasize over there. And then he says um, that, and then he goes and elaborates further. He says that Moshe Rabbeinu, when, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in the upcoming weeks, next uh, month or so, uh, next three weeks, when HaKadosh uh, uh, Baruch Hu uh, uh, points Moshe Rabbeinu to go into Mitzrayim and to announce the Jewish people, I am the messenger of the Lord, and I am here to take you out of Mitzrayim, whatever Cecil DeMille said or whatever, whichever character he was. But he says, whoever was going to, the Moses there, so I am the one who's now going to take you out of Mitzrayim. And the Jewish people said, Moshe Rabbeinu said, they're not going to believe me. I'm some guy walking in out of uh, out of nowhere, and I declare that I am the one who's going to be the savior of the Jewish people. Take it out of Mitzrayim, even in the time of the uh, the Bible, they lock people up in padded rooms and they don't let them out when they have such you know uh, you know Messiah uh, uh, beliefs in themselves. So what is so Moshe Rabbeinu said, how they're not going to believe in me? So the question is, question that the Sloaner asks is. Um, so how is it possible for Moshe to come and say, How can Moshe Rabbeinu claim honestly to God, the Jewish people aren't going to believe me? As if to say they're not going to believe that there's a God who's coming to save them, and that's why they don't believe. Why would Jews who, it's inscribed in our DNA, from Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov and Sarah, Rivka, Rachel and Leah, that we are believers in the in the Creator, we're believers in God. Why would the Jewish people, as low as they had sunk, why would they not believe that the Savior was going to come and take them out of Egypt? So explains this Slonimer very beautifully. Achim Perusho. The idea behind this is what Moshe Rabbeinu's concern was. Of course, the Jewish people believed in the existence of a Creator that there exists a God in the universe. But what they were lacking at this juncture in Jewish history was they did not believe, they did not have the facet of Amuna that says that the Jews are the chosen people and that Kadosh Baruch Hu loves them unconditionally. In other words, So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu said, they're for sure not going to believe me when I say that I'm representing God to take them out of Mitzrayim. Not that there's not a God, and not that there, won't, that there could not be a representative, a human representative of God who is tasked with the responsibility of taking the Jews out of Mitzrayim. But the Jews said, it's not now. He cannot be showing up now to do this. Why not now? Because because at this moment we are still knee deep at the 49th level of Tuma. God is not saving us over here. We're filthy, we stink, we're moldy, we're mildewy. Every, all the bad things which are there, we look terrible. Haven't showered in weeks and months. And just there's no way God has any affection towards us whatsoever. He is not sending his Savior now. And that's was Moshe Rabbeinu's concern that they would say, and rightly so, because the Jews did not feel deserving at that point that they should be recipients of this unconditional love of God because they had wandered so so distant away from God. And then he says, I think it was the Bas Ayin's site last week or the week before or something. But he says that this is similar to the idea that the Bas Ayin says, Amazing thing. 
He says, If there is a Jew who does not believe, if a Jew does not believe that God resides within us, even when we sin, even when we are uh, in, uh, uh, attached and connected with sources of tuma, with bad behaviors, you know what that person is? A person is a heretic. It's a heretical idea to have the notion that God will reject you because you are in the midst of Tuma. That's an amazing thing for him to say. It's one thing to say that a person denies the existence of God. It's one thing to say that one doesn't believe that there's such a thing as a chosen people. All of that is a, that we recognize is bad. But on par with that, similar to that, is a person who believes that it's possible to sin so badly that God is going to say, la, 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 I'm not listening to you anymore. I don't want to see you anymore. We no longer have a relationship. I'm severing all ties. And don't call me up and don't even send me a birthday card anymore. So that, the Bas Ayan says, that itself is a heretical belief that somebody could go so far away from God. It's not true. Dehainu, in other words, the reason why that's considered to be heretical, she'eno mami bechelek zeshal emunah, because he's lacking this facet of emuna the bitachon facet of it, which says that God loves you unconditionally and he will not reject you no matter how much tuma you find yourself sunken into. Sunken as, as deep as you are in tuma, HaKash Baruch Hu is still going to be there uh, together with you. How do we know that this is true? So later on, the Slonimer says, quotes the, uh, the, the Pasuk and then the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, where we say that 13 attributes of mercy, so we begin Hashem Hashem Kelrachum Vachanu, right? Hashem Hashem, who is the God of compassion and the God of, or mercy and compassion. So what does that mean? So why the name of Hashem twice? Why, why, this, why the same name twice? According to most accounts, according to some books, it counts as two different attributes. So if it's the same name of God, how can it count as two different attributes? So the Gemara says, is the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, Ani Hashem Kodem Sheyecheta, I am Hashem before you sin, and uh, and I am Hashem after you sin. What does that mean when a God emphasizes that He is Hashem both before and after we sin? So explains the Slonimer. So what does it mean to say that that Hashem is with us before we sin? So he's talking about it is at the time that a person is being overwhelmed by the Yetzahara, whatever the Yetzahara is, but they're being overwhelmed by it. And it's burning inside of the person. With all sorts of ways to seduce a person and to sweet talk a person and to get them to do whatever it is that they know that they shouldn't be doing, but they're finding it just incredibly hard to resist. So at that time that the person is overwhelmed by the Yetzahara, so the way, one of the tools that one could use to go ahead and fight that Yetzahara at the moment that it seems overwhelming and insurmountable and that there's no way that you're going to be able to resist. So it's that exact moment to go ahead and draw on those resources, to draw on those reserves of your strong and pure emuna. What, what are you believing in at that time, which is going to help you? All you need to do is remind yourself, just look up, 
and look for a camera in the room. Whatever the Aveira is that you're about to do, look up and see if there's a camera. Nowadays, there's cameras everywhere, so it's not a, it's not far-fetched to believe that there actually is a camera. All of you have cameras on you now. So, but it's not a far-fetched thing to, uh, to, to know that there's a camera. And when you look up, you see a camera, so that reminds you that if there's a camera, so somebody has a screen somewhere and they can watch what's going on. And if somebody else, I wouldn't want to do this knowing that somebody's watching. So when you look up to check the room for cameras, so at the same time you look up and say, oh, because Baruch is also up there. He doesn't need a camera to see. He just sees. So as soon as you're reminded of the fact that God is there and he is going to see your actions. And not only that, but and there's a judge and there is a judgment for those people who go ahead and sin. And therefore, that's something which, that's a way of invoking God before the sin is committed. And then he quotes from the Zohar. And then he says, amazing, he says, But let's say, as much as you try to draw upon those reserves to restrain yourself, to not do the Aveira, you couldn't. You failed, you slipped. You went to heaven, you committed the Aveira anyways. So at that point, don't say, this must mean that God's not with me. And therefore, I'm on my own because God wouldn't want to go ahead and be there with me at the time of sin. So to counter that, Hashem says, in the 13 attributes of mercy, I'm the same Hashem even after you sinned. Meaning what? Let's say a person could not resist the Nisayon. They couldn't resist the temptation. And the person tripped and a person fell down a level or a number of levels as a result of what they did. So at the beginning of the day, they were at a 63. And now as a result of whatever they did, they now slipped down to level 61. Certainly not a productive day to go from 63 down to 61. You're not even treading water. And here you are, you know, sinking even further. Umargish and what a sincere Jew feels. Remember, to be a sincere Jew doesn't mean that you don't sin. What a sincere Jew does when they realize that they've sinned, that they slipped and they couldn't resist. And sometimes a person will feel broken and crushed inside. I can't believe I did it again. I'm trying so hard not to do this and I did it again and I slipped again and I couldn't resist and I didn't do the necessary things in order to be able to uh, to counter and to, uh, to resist the temptation, all that. Ad she'eno motze lo makum. And you feel, you know what? There's no place with me with God anymore. He's given me so many chances. He's forgiven me so many times. Time and time again, he keeps forgiving me for doing this. And I keep doing it again and again and again. There's no way that God has forgiven me this time. God has said, enough. I've had it up to here with you. Hamuna hi hamazur v'hatshufa. So at that exact moment that a person is feeling broken and they feel that they've crossed the line that they cannot return from, then you have to invoke your second part of your amuna, which is the fact that God loves you unconditionally. And that is your amuna at that point is the trufa. Trufa means the medicine. It's the medication. It's going to be the, uh, the, uh, the ointment, which is going to take the pain away. It's going to be able to relieve you of the pain of the condition which you have now, which is that, that unsettledness that you wandered away from God and you didn't listen. And Emuna is going to make it feel better. That's the painkiller. <laughs> Coding, call it. The Gam'az, and even then, maybe it's not strong enough, depending on the sin, I guess. And at that point, you have to strengthen yourself in the belief that God is never going to abandon us. It's not happening. 
Nidachim are those who are banished or those who are sent away. Sent away. So uh, we have to have that 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 powerful belief that God will not allow us to go ahead and wander so far away that there's no return. And that's what we need to uh, we, how we need to comfort ourselves at that time. And then he says, and it's at that moment that you have to draw upon those reserves of bitachon. It's at that moment when you're doing well, when you're excelling, you don't have to remember that you're God's child because you'll feel that on your own. It's specifically when you feel that you've wandered away from God and you're, uh, you're, you're, you feel that you're not connected to God. It's at that moment that you have to strengthen your, your belief and say, you know what? I am a child of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And as a child of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, He's going to love me unconditionally and he'll always accept me back. Not sure if Harry and Meghan know that this is true. I'm not sure how in the, in the British royalty, whether there's such a thing as being able to come back uh, no matter what. But for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so there's always a possibility to come back. A person should feel So a person has to see themselves as a prince or a princess under all conditions and under all circumstances. And even in the worst of cases, even in the worst of circumstances, a person has to believe that I am a child to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he loves me unconditionally. That doesn't become an excuse to sin, but it does mean that in the event that one did, did sin, one should never despair and think that this means that I can't come back, that I've just wandered off too far or I've done it too many times, I'm a repeat offender too many times, and uh, that, it's, uh, that, that, that I'm done. He says, Even if I'm in the lowest places, it doesn't make a difference. Nowhere is too far for me to be able to return to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because at the end of the day, it's part of my DNA. My DNA is, I am a child of the king. I'm a child of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and therefore nothing can be done to disrupt that bloodline, nothing can be done to change the DNA that I was born with. It's always going to be there. I may not behave consistent with that bloodline. I may not behave consistent with that, the, 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 those components of my DNA, but the DNA is what it is, and the blood is what it is. Right? A parent could try and cut off a child all they want. But at the end of the day, if one of them needs a uh, you know a blood transfusion, one of them needs an organ transplant or something, they're still connected on that biological level where regardless of what their relationship is, their bodies still match. There still is a connection between them, which is something which you know doesn't go away. Ubenkach, Ubenkach, he's now invoking the Gemara in, the, in Kedushin, where there's actually a machlokas between Tanayim, whether or not it's possible for a Jew to, uh, to sin to such a degree that HaKadosh Baruch Hu no longer considers us as children. And we possibly like the opinion that says, even if we become idolaters, we're still HaKadosh Baruch Hu's children. Can't get much worse than becoming an idolater, rejecting God and adopting another God in his place or another set of gods in his place. And still HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you are unconditionally my children, even in that circumstance. And he says, also, it says very beautifully, this is where you get to see a little bit how uh, Hasidim have this knack uh, for darshaning things in the, uh, not according to the Pasha Pshat, but in very beautiful ways. So it says, this is the meaning 
of the idea that we say, where did it go? Um, right, mimamakim krasicha Hashem. So we know that we say, I think it's in Kuflamid, that we say, that we call mimamakim krasicha Hashem, that from the depth, I call out to you Hashem. So what does it mean from the depth? So Kefisha Pishra Basena Kedoshim. So he says, like the Tzadikim explain, meaning the Rebbe's explain, Amakim isn't a physical distance of being in a valley or being in a deep place. Mamakim has to do with where I'm surrounded by klipos, those who are even distantly familiar with the, with the Kabbalistic language. So klipa, shell, or appeal represents those things which are going to be the barrier which separate uh, you and God. So just like from the outside, I can't get to the um, uh, the the inside of a nut because there's a shell on the outside and I can't access the the good part. So a person who's involved in sin is considered to be involved in klipa. And what you need to do is you need to peel away or remove the shell, and that gives you access once again to the pure neshama which is on the inside. So when we say in, when David Amal says mimamakim krasich Hashem, it's not when I feel distant from you that I call out to you Hashem, but rather it's when I'm feeling sinful, that's when I call out to you, Hashem. Meaning, gam us, even at that moment, when I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by sin, uh, that uh, a person should not decide because they're experiencing such a strong taiva, such a strong yearning for whatever the sin is, that person should never feel that they don't have the strength or they don't have the capacity to resist. Because a person may say, and this is what we, you know, sometimes a person tries to do, is they try and commit the sin in a place where they're confident nobody's going to see. So they go off somewhere, they do something where they assume nobody is going to, uh, to be there. So that's what a person, so a person should never think that they're going to be able to create a circumstance whereby they're going to be able to hide from God and God is not going to demonstrate an interest in what exactly is going on. El mischazek bemuna, but rather at that exact moment, you have to strengthen your emuna, you have to remind yourself. is above you. It's again, looking up for the camera in the room. So Kadosh Baruch is above you and he sees, because he doesn't need a camera. And when you realize that Baruch is there watching, so then the embarrassment and humiliation should overcome you, should cover your face. And if you know that Kadosh Baruch is watching you, so you're not going to enjoy whatever that sin is. Right, as much as the person, you know, is polishing for the double bacon cheeseburger, and they finally say, you know what? He keeps talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And he's finally he 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 can't resist the temptation anymore, and he's going to bite into that double bacon cheeseburger, which he's talking about for 20 plus years, that it's finally gotten around to it. And then as he's about to bite into it, he looks up and says, God's watching me now. It's not gonna taste so good. Even if he does bite into it, it's going to lose its flavor. It's going to lose its excitement because you know that the person who said, um, uh, you know, you shouldn't have it, uh, is there watching you. You know, think of it in terms of, uh, again, I don't know what happens necessarily in your homes, but let's assume that soda or pop is just for Shabbos. And then you've noticed the past couple of weeks that soda is missing, pop has been missing 
uh, during the week. By the time we get to Shabbos, it's not around anymore. What exactly is happening? And you realize that one of the kids is sneaking around, grabbing some pop during the week. So then finally, you decide you set up some sort of trap or you're, you're waiting there with a motion detector thing by the pop. And then as soon as the child grabs the pop, so you go in there and you, you see them. And they see that you're standing there. Now, obviously, they, they're busted. But you say to them, you know what? You opened it already. You might as well drink it. Now, are they going to enjoy that pop? They're busted. You're right there watching them do something which they know that they're not supposed to do. And you told them they're not supposed to do. And now you say to them, well, you already stole the pop. You might as well just drink it already. Well, that's not going to be satisfying. Nobody's going to enjoy that. It's just like you're forcing it down my throat at this point. I have no interest in, in taking it anymore. So that is one way to counter the Yitzhahara. But sometimes a person does, what happens is a person doesn't have the strength to restrain, doesn't have the, the power to uh, restrain himself. And what one needs to do is, even when one is under the control of the Sitra of the Yitzhahara, and when the Yetzirah is burning inside of a person, saying, do it, do it, do it, saying, you know, whispering in your ear, telling you that you should go ahead and do the Avera, what a person needs to do at that moment is never think that Kashbrach is not watching and he doesn't care. Never to go ahead and draw such a conclusion. And he says, um, we'll do one more line, which will just finish this section, and then we'll hold it for this week. And he says, Uka'amr. So like we said, drawing on this reserve to be able to uh, control your behavior, so this is the root of bitachon. This is the, 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 the source of bitachon. Hamuna b'maylas kedushas nishmas yehudi. And what ultimately is, it's not a belief in God per se, it's a belief in the love God has for the Jews. And not just the Jewish people as a nation, because if you only think of it in terms of God loving the Jewish people, he loves the nation, but I'm so sinful that I'm one of those outcasts. I'm an outlier. That's not really part of it. But the essential part of this belief, the essential facet of this belief, is that every person, every Jew has to believe, Ben Shalema, that I am Shahu Ben Hamelach. I am a child of the king. I am a prince. I am a princess. Even when you are at what seems to be the lowest point of your life, and you feel there's no way out, and there's no way that I could recover from this, your essence doesn't change. In your essence, meaning your essence. So your essence is you are a prince or you are a princess, and that DNA cannot be changed. For all the money in the world, you're not changing your DNA. You are who you are. You have that bloodline. That's just that's just who you are. That's how you were born, and that's how you're always going to be. We're not changing that. And then, and there's nothing that a person is going to be able to do to lose that status of being God's child. And this is an essential, as, as he quoted from the Basayan, this is such an essential part of our emuna, our working emuna, not just the intellectual emuna, belief in a creator, you know, whether we've worked that out intellectually in our mind, but in terms of living emuna and how I go ahead and live a life of emuna and live a life of bitachon. So the Sonoma here is, is sharing with us that one of the most important components of that is this belief that we are God's children, that we are the b'nei banim, 
we're the children of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and as the children of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so there's nothing that we can do which is going to cause us to lose that status. And his love for us is unconditional, and as far and as distant as we may think that we have wandered away, and as much as we've turned our back down HaKadosh Baruch Hu, no matter what, we're always going to be called as children, and it cannot change this essential DNA of our, of our existence that we are Hashem's children, and as a loving parent, He's always going to go ahead and uh, and take us back. Okay, so hold it here for tonight. Um, so don't forget that Thursday, uh, Thursday we don't have class. Uh, Thursday, I hope to be in 